Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, it's great being with you today and uh, thankful that uh, you're staying safe. I, uh, Mary and I got to travel up to North Carolina Thursday and Friday and see our mothers for the first time since February. And I sat down with my mom and set up her iPad so that she can start watching uh, the 1030 service that's streaming live now. Of course, that means there's a whole lot of sermon illustrations I cannot use anymore. And now I'm going to get a phone call at 12 o'clock. What sermon illustrations are you talking about? But anyway, it's uh, great seeing you and happy Father's Day. And uh, men, if you want to be a great dad, well then love your kids well by loving your wife well. And uh, love your kids well by loving Jesus well. And then love your kids by loving God's word well and making it a crucial part of your life. In fact, today we're starting a series on simply what do we believe? And today we're going to start with the Bible. That becomes the foundation of all the truths that we believe. It's the source of all those truths. In fact, uh, President Theodore Roosevelt, he said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. And he was an incredibly intelligent individual. And, uh, and so I think he got that exactly right. You know, uh, the Bible is kind of like the plumb line for us. If you're building a building or putting up a structure or doing something, you, you, you want to take that plumb line, which is a string basically with a weight at the bottom, and, uh, and you hold it until it's just perfectly still, and then you, you definitely have a straight. You, you know what the straight line is. And, and then you build from that uh, from that reference point, then you know your building's going to be square, it's going to be at least straight. And, and so your life, the Bible's the plumb line for your life, that if you measure everything based on the scripture and measure the truths that you live by and the choices that you make and what you choose to believe based on scripture, when you line up with that plumb line, then your life is going to be the way it needs to be. It's going to be a life that is worth living, a worthy life. You know, the Bible literally means book. So when we say Holy Bible, we're saying Holy Book. And God is the leading character of the Bible. He's the centerpiece of the Bible. It really is all about God. And, and although the Bible contains historical uh, facts, it contains scientific facts, the purpose of the Bible is to tell the story of God's redemption of the human race. That is the purpose of it. That's the theme of it. And so God is the centerpiece. He is the author of it. He is the uh, focal point of it. But you and I, well, you and I have a key part in it in that everything that God did was for the purpose of redeeming us back to him. Now, God has revealed himself to us in a couple of different ways. Um, he's revealed to us and revealed himself to us in some general ways, and we call that general revelation, that he's made himself available to all people at all times. He's given enough information out there that anybody will know that there's a God. And so God's self-manifestation through nature and through history and through human personality well, the Bible puts it this way in Psalms 91, 1, it say, or 19, 1, it says, the heavens 
proclaim the glory of God. So at night when you go out and look at the stars, the heavens are proclaiming the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. So it's all about him and it reveals him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 19 and 20, they know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. So there's no one without excuse. He says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Just when you walk through the woods, you're removing all your excuses for not knowing God. When you walk along the beach, you've removed all your excuses for not knowing God. When you hike through the mountains, or fish in a stream. You're removing all the excuses for not knowing God. And so when somebody says, well, I never heard about you, God, <clears throat> God's response is going to be, yes, you did. Every time you opened your eyes, you heard about me. You saw me. You saw the evidence of my existence. And you chose not to pursue me. I'm absolutely convinced that anybody who looks at nature and says there must be a God and then ask that God to reveal himself to them, he will do it. The Bible tells us that God is searching for anybody who's pursuing him so that he might come alongside them. In Romans chapter 2 verse 15 it says, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. So he goes from the external to the internal. <clears throat> Outwardly, there is no excuse because of what all we see. But internally, uh, Romans is saying they know, they, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. Just the fact that you have a conscience. That tells us that God has written his truth on your heart <clears throat> and that you know, you just inherently know right from wrong. And then that makes you a person without excuse for not knowing that there's a God. So you have the external evidence and then you have the internal evidence. And then there's uh, another way God has revealed himself and that's very specifically and uh, through special means, some of the special revelation he's given about himself, a more complete knowledge is one through divine speech. He spoke to the prophets and he spoke to the apostles through visions and dreams and even audibly he spoke to them. God's actions, the things that he has done, the 10 plagues of Egypt, the dividing of the Red Sea, the wall of Jericho which by the way is still crumbled. I've walked on the ruins of that wall. 
the healing of individuals, the raising of people from the dead, and then the ultimate expression of God's special revelation was the raising of Jesus from the dead. So God has revealed himself outwardly and inwardly in general terms and very specific terms, but the ultimate expression, revelation of God, the complete revealing of God is through Jesus Christ. John 1.1 said, in the beginning, the word already existed and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, if you jump down to verse 14, it says, so the word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and, un, and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. So you can go back to verse one and put Jesus's name there. And that is absolutely correct. In the beginning, Jesus already existed and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And because you know about Jesus, you know about God. Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen his father. You know, when um, I hang out with any of your kids, I see a lot of the dad in those children. My son and I were texting each other this morning and we were talking and and he was being very gracious and kind and telling me some of the things that he had learned from me. So in a way, when you talk to my son, you're hearing some of the th words that I taught him, which I in turn learned from someone else. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, said Jesus. Now, let me just give you some basic Bible facts. You, you've heard this before, probably. It was written over 1,500 years. It, it was written by over 40 different authors from all kinds of walks of life, from kings to military leaders to peasants to philosophers to fishermen to tax collectors to poets, musicians, statesmen, scholars, and even smelly shepherds. And while written in different places like the wilderness and in dungeons and in prisons and in palaces and, in, and on the hillside while traveling, and the last one, Revelation, was written while in exile, it was written during different times, during war, during peace, during prosperity, and during famine. It's full of all these different kinds of moods. There's joy, there's sorrow, there's despair, there's certainty, there's conviction, there's even confusion, and there's doubt. Written on three different continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. Three different languages, Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament, and then Aramaic, the language Jesus probably spoke. It was written in a lot of different styles, Poetry, historical narrative, song, romance, personal correspondence, satire even, and biography, law, prophecy, allegory, and parable. It deals with hundreds of issues, family, parenting, marriage, divorce, remarriage, money matters and principles, relationships, even human sexuality. It defines it. 
And according to the Wycliffe Bible translators, there's more than 1,500 languages that have access to the New Testament now. 90% of the world's population, and more actually, have access to the Bible in their language. It's filled with prophecy that has been fulfilled, many of it verifiable, much of it. And this is what distinguishes the Bible from other religious books. Uh, you, you see uh, the Koran, the Book of Mormon, and parts of the Hindu documents, they, they claim to be inspired, but they contain zero predictive prophecies. The archaeological evidence is overwhelming. I could go on and on about that. <clears throat> but let's just put it this way, especially in Luke and in John, <clears throat> there was a lot of questions for centuries about the reliability that, in fact, a lot of scholars would say uh, Luke and John just proved that the Bible could not be trustworthy because it names cities that just do not exist and it names people, individuals that do not exist until somebody took a shovel and turned over another mound of dirt and they found the evidence. The very things that they said would prove that the Bible was not truthful, they would later discover in your lifetime, as a matter of fact, those cities did exist right where the Bible said. They just didn't dig deep enough yet. That person did exist just like the Bible says. <clears throat> they found his name carved right where the Bible said he lived. So every time another scientist or another archaeologist makes a discovery, so often it just proves the Bible more and more. Now, I, I do need to make one comment, and I'm not bashing anybody, but I do want to make a note about the Book of Mormon. Although John Smith, who's the founder of the Mormon Church, he claimed that the Book of Mormon, he said, is the most correct of any book upon the earth. That's what he said. But archaeologically, it has repeatedly failed to sustain any of the claims. Not a single Book of Mormon city that is named has ever been located. Not one. No Book of Mormon person, place, nation, or name has ever been found. Ever. No Book of Mormon artifacts, no Book of Mormon scriptures, no Book of Mormon inscriptions, nothing which proves that the Book of Mormon is anything other. It's nothing but a myth or an invention of an individual, but nothing ever has been found, not once. It says a lot. And yet we continue to discover evidence for the truth of scripture. A couple of comparisons about historical documents that really speaks to me. Plato, who lived from 427 to 347, the earliest copy we have of his, any of his writings is 900 AD in the year of, Je you know, 900 years after Jesus. So there's a 1200 year separation from the original documents to the earliest known copies. And we only have seven copies of those. And yeah, we put a lot of faith in Plato, right? Everybody's heard of Plato. 
Aristotle lived from 384 to 322 BC, and the earliest copy we have of his writings is 1100 AD. So 1,400 years between the original documents, 1,400, and only 49 copies exist. Homer, he lived 900 BC. The earliest known copy is 400 BC, so 500 years between the document and existing copies, and and yet that was enough to make us have to study that in high school. But let's look at the New Testament. The New Testament was written between 40 and 100 AD. The earliest known copy that we have, that we have found so far, is 125 AD. So 25-year gap between an original document and an existing copy. And we have way over 25,000 copies. Incredible. And then the Dead Sea Scrolls really changed the scene. Well, I have a question. If the Bible is so reliable, then why do people reject Jesus? If the Bible is, there's so much evidence to support the Bible, then why would anybody reject Jesus? If nature alone is enough to prove there is a God, why would anybody even contemplate the idea that there is no God, no divine creator? Why would they even do that? Well, let me give you a couple of ideas based on what the Bible says. I think one reason why people reject Jesus in spite of all the evidence is simply ignorance. Jesus said in Matthew 22, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. So basically he's telling those people that he was talking to, you're ignorant. But that doesn't make you without excuse. Just because you choose to not read or study the Bible does not make you held accountable for its truth. So I think ignorance is one reason why some people reject Jesus, but I don't think that's sufficient. Do you? There's a second reason, I think, and it's just plain old pride. Again, Jesus said, Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. He's talking to the people again. Your approval means nothing to me. Jesus was telling the religious leaders, said, I don't really care what you think about me, but you sure better care about what I think about you. And he's saying, look, your pride is keeping you from the truth. He said, your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. Your, your motive, the core of your being is not for God. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. And by the way, he backed it up with a lot of pretty clear evidence, like raising people from the dead. Yet, if others come to you in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you cannot believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care 
about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. So that's just spiritual pride. That's why a lot of people, I think, reject Jesus. They don't understand it. Therefore, they don't want to deal with it. I'm going to tell you, you know, pride and arrogance is why somebody would even utter the words, I just don't believe there's a God. Man, that's such an arrogant statement and a prideful statement to suggest that you know more than the rest of the universe. So some people reject Jesus because of their ignorance, some because of their just their pride. Here, here's one, and I think this is a big one, and I think we see this one more today than ever before. I, I think it's because of a moral issue. Jesus again, John 3. And the judgment is based on this fact. You know, the judgment that God has for us. God's light came into the world Jesus. And Jesus is talking about himself here. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. There it is. They've got serious moral issues in their life and to get close to Jesus might reveal them and they're not ready to give up those things. Now, some people have moral issues. A lot of believers have moral issues, but they, they feel convicted about it. So as a believer, you can run away from God for a while and you, because of your conviction and you can kind of stray away because you, you feel guilty and you want to run from that guilt, but you know that guilt catches up with you because the Holy Spirit's not going to give up on you and, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit's actually living in you. There's no way you're going to get away from him. So that's a different issue. I'm talking about that's believers. This is a moral issue that people will use to stay away from Jesus to reject Jesus. They just like what they do. And they don't want to be told that it's wrong. They don't want to be told that they have to give it up. But, but you see, Jesus is not here to make you stop doing things. He's here to forgive you of the things you've done. He, he comes to tell you, I can put your life back on track to where it needs to be. I can remove the guilt, the sin stain that you've got. Sometimes you just see all three. You just see ignorance, you see pride, you see moral issues. You, you can see it all wrapped up in a single person. And the reason they don't want to talk to you about Jesus is they think they're having fun. And you and I both know they're paying a heavy, heavy price on themselves. And sadly, some of them will ultimately pay an eternal price for their moral issues. 
So I, I wonder, maybe there's some people here right now, you are running from God, you're a believer, but you're running and um, maybe you're letting pride sneak in that you just don't want God telling you what to do, that you think you know more than God. Or maybe it's because you've let a sin sneak back into your life and, and you're just trying to, maybe you're keeping your life so busy, even with church stuff, just so you thinking that that'll take or ease the guilt and that doesn't work. So, so maybe you, it's time for you to, just do business with God again and just say, Lord, I'm wrong. You're right. I need to get back where I need to be. And you see, you're like that prodigal son and the father's eager for you to come back, not to beat you up, not to put you in time out, not to send you to your room, but to have a party celebrating your return back to the family. Now, maybe there are some of you who are even here or you're listening online and you're looking for some answers and you're thinking and focusing more on what you're going to have to give up. You're going to have to stop doing things that you actually enjoy doing. Well, well, let me tell you what you really give up by giving your life to Jesus. You give up hell. Does it get any better than that? Is that enough motivation right there? You, you give up hell. You give up God's judgment. You give up the aimless, pointless life that you're living. You give up a bunch of trash. So maybe it's time to come off out of the dump and live the way God intended for you to live as one of his children. 